Dear friends, says Peter, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things which are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, just as Peter prayed for those he was writing to, so we pray right now for ourselves that we might be those who grow in grace and grow in knowledge of you as we look at your word this evening. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Now, over the, the last uh, couple of weeks, if you've been here, uh, we've been going through this little letter of 2 Peter. And uh, as we've been going through 2 Peter, it's quite a challenging little book, a little letter from Peter to these people, these dear friends that he was writing to. Uh, as we've been going through the last couple of weeks, you'll, you'll remember, I'm sure, that I've been using the, an illustration of the Christian life uh, as like a bicycle ride, going for a bicycle ride. So if we stop, we drop. We, we need to keep going as a Christian. We need to keep growing as a Christian. We need to not be stationary. And you may remember, if you were here last week, that I spoke about Hope, my three-year-old, uh, with a high-quality bicycle here. Um, and um, I said that Hope she'll often, will often go on a bike ride in Clapham Common. And there's Hope. And she's riding on her bicycle. And uh, we start, we're at the bandstand, the bandstand in the middle of Clapham Common, and that, that's where we're starting. And then there's this tarmac path straight to the playground. The playground is the destination from the bandstand to the playground. 
And you'll, you'll remember if you were here last week that I said the problem for Hope sometimes is that as she's bicycling along, pedaling away, the bicycle's squeaking away, and then suddenly there's a distraction on the left in the form of the ice cream van. And I said that often that's how it is for us in the Christian life. As we're going along in the Christian life, there is a distraction in the form of false teaching. And just as Hope, when she sees the ice cream van, she'll sort of turn and she'll falter and she'll go off the path and she's in danger of falling off. So we are in danger of being enticed, not by the ice cream van, but by false teaching. And we are in danger of going off the path of the Christian life. And I said last week that sort of my role in that, Hope's there, my role's behind Hope, and my, my role is to remind her of what she already knows. Uh, to remind her, there's the playground, Hope, keep going, keep pedaling, don't stop, keep going, forget the ice cream van, keep going. And in the same way, as we are going along on the bike ride of life, uh, we too need to be reminded of what we already know. We need to be reminded of... Not listening to my voice, Dad, but to listening to the voice of Jesus. And we've seen how Peter again and again says that we listen to the voice of Jesus supremely in here, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We listen here to what Jesus is saying. We're reminded of what we already know. And Jesus is saying to us, keep going. Don't get distracted by the false teaching. Keep going. Keep pedaling on towards our heavenly home, the ultimate destination. Now, keeping with that illustration... um, As we get to chapter 3 of 2 Peter, he he sort of changes the analogy slightly. So chapter 2 was about the ice cream van and the false teaching over there. Chapter 3 is a little different. What's happening in chapter 3 is that people are saying, on 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 the bike ride of life, people are saying, actually, there is no playground. There is no final destination. Jesus isn't going to return. There's not going to be any final judgment. There's no heaven and hell. There is no final destination. No playground. Just look, if you would, at verse 3, that second paragraph there. Look at verse 3, and this is what they're saying. Peter says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You see, just as people were scoffing at the idea that Jesus Christ would physically return back then as Peter was writing his letter, so people continue to scoff today, don't they? And what's the reason for it? Well, firstly, obviously, it is the existing delay. Verse 4, he says, everything keeps on going as normal since creation. Everything just goes as normal as normal. Will Jesus really return? And let's be honest, if they were asking that question 2,000 years ago, as Peter was writing this letter, people are certainly going to be asking it now, 2,000 years on, and still no return. Is Jesus really ever going to return, or is it all make-believe? But just note, what, what Peter says is the real reason why people are scoffing. It's not just the existing delay. Look look again at verse 3 and at what he says. He says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. So it's not just existing delay. It is also our evil desires. See, Peter's saying that there is a desire from people not to believe in Jesus' return. There's a desire from people not to believe in a judgment day. 
Because if there is no judgment day, we will not be held accountable for our actions now. And so each of us, we can decide how we want to live now. It's totally up to us, and there are no consequences attached. We can do what we want. We can follow our own evil, selfish desires, and there is no eternal consequence. So in response to that, to to that scoffing... Because of the existing delay and our evil desires, second question there on the handout, why should we believe in Jesus' return? Why should we believe that there is a judgment day in the face of all this scoffing? Well, again, Peter gives us two reasons. The first reason is this, the Lord's patience. The Lord's patience. Have a look, would you, at verse 8. Look at verse 8, so the third paragraph there. Verse 8, he says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So Peter's saying there, it's not that the Lord's return... It's just the Lord's been slow to return. It's not just that he's sort of forgotten to return. It's not even that he's never, ever going to return. He says, actually, think about things from the Lord's perspective. 2,000 years, it's just like two days. No, the, the reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet, Peter says supremely, is that he is being patient with us. He says he's being patient with you. He's being patient with us in the sense that he is not wanting people to perish, but instead he is wanting people to turn to him in repentance so that they might be saved. You see, the apparent delay in Jesus' return, it is not a failure of God's plan, but it's the condition of its success. Let me say that again. The apparent delay in Jesus Christ's return, it's not a failure of God's plan, but actually it is a condition of its success so that there might be more time for people to be saved as they put their trust in Jesus. So why should we believe that Jesus will return? Why should we believe that it will happen despite it not having happened yet? Why? First, the Lord's patience. And second, the Lord's promise. His promise. Because you see, one day God's patience will run out. Look at verse 10, the next paragraph. Verse 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Peter says our lives will be laid bare to God's judgment. And only those who've repented and turned to Jesus will be saved. If you look back at verses 5 to 7, Peter tells us that we can trust God's promise. We can trust it. He says these scoffers in verse 5, he says they deliberately forget. They forget what? Well, he says we are not to forget. We can trust God with his word. He says in verses 5 to 7, what God said with creation, what God said with the flood happened... And so, what God has said will happen with future judgment, that will happen too. God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. And so, I need to say, and I'm aware what I'm about to say is is, is quite a stark statement. 
But I need to say this. If you're here today and you are not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus, if you haven't, as it were, yet got on the bike of the Christian life, then right now, God, he is being patient with you. God is being patient with you. He is graciously giving you time to turn to him. But when you die or when Jesus returns, whichever's first, then it will be too late. And so, please, can I urge you with everything that I have, can I urge you, if that is you, to turn to Jesus this very day? Just listen to what C.S. Lewis says on this. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back. He's being patient. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. And maybe, maybe that is a message just for, for one person here tonight. Maybe more than one, but I'm pretty sure it's at least one. A message that today is the day that you can choose to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. That'll be for some of us. But what about for all of us? What about for every single one of us here? The question is, what difference does Jesus' future return, what difference does it make to you and me now, today? How should we respond now to Jesus' future return? Well, two ways. Here's the first. Look forward Look forward to Jesus' return. Have a look down to verse 11, the next paragraph. Verse 11, he says this. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You see, we look forward. We look forward with joyous anticipation to that day. We look forward because all that is imperfect, all that is flawed, all that is struggling, all that is wrong about this world in the present, all that will be gone. And it won't simply be the end of this creation, but verse 13, it will be the start of a new heaven and a new earth. You know, the phrase, they all lived happily ever after. It's not some sort of idealistic pie in the sky end of a fairy tale story. But actually, it is the blood-bought, Christ-crucified promise of God for all those who are trusting in Jesus Christ. 
The new heaven and the new earth is where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, where God will indeed wipe away every tear from every eye. We will be free from sin and we will be face to face with the Lord Jesus. It is the most amazing, wonderful future to behold. But here's my fear. This is my fear. My fear is that we are too focused on the present. We are are too focused on the here and now. You know, if, if we actually are honest, most of us, most of us, we have the resources to get ourselves pretty comfortable in the here and now. And I'm speaking this to myself. You know, just think, what are the kind of questions that that your mental canvas often thinks about? What are the kind of questions that you think about, that you're worried, you're concerned about? You know, whether to to rent or buy a flat. Which party to go to on Friday night? Whether to have soya milk or almond milk with my decaf macchiato, whatever it might be. So much of what we think about is about us being comfortable in the here and now. You see, on the bike ride of the Christian life, this is the problem. We downgrade the playground. We downgrade the final destination. We downgrade the playground, and then we upgrade the concrete path. We say, isn't the concrete path wonderful? And we put along the concrete path, you know, we put hot tubs and bean bags and pleasure domes and cake stalls. We say it's wonderful, and we focus on it, and we get so excited... We just stop pedaling, and we just focus on the here and now. And the challenge from Peter here is let us downgrade the wonder of the concrete path. Let's downgrade that, and let's upgrade the playground. Let's upgrade the final destination. Look forward to Jesus' return. So that's the first thing. Look forward to Jesus' return. And then the second thing is this. Live now in light of Jesus' return. Live right now in light of Jesus' return. Uh, last week, I was, um, uh, I was sent um, uh, some photographs by someone in the congregation of um, William Wilberforce's book, uh, which is the short title is Real Christianity. And they own, I thought this was wonderful, they own an original copy of that book. I just got a sort of a, 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 a downloaded electronic version on my iPad. But this person, they own a real copy of, of William Wilberforce's book. And it is even, which is pretty cool, signed by William Wilberforce. And you can see it there. You can make out Wilberforce's signature there. And it reminded me how Wilberforce's book If you read it again and again and again, just going through it, it is all about how you live now in the light of eternity. Let me just give you one example of this. This is on page one or two. It's right at the start, and it is Wilberforce saying this is why he has written his book. Okay, And this is what he writes. It's a longish quote, but this is what he says. He says, the main object of this book is to point out the scanty and erroneous system of the bulk of those who belong to the class of orthodox Christians and to contrast their defective scheme with a representation of what the author apprehends to be real Christianity. Let me just translate that for you. Uh, He's basically saying, what is the difference between people who are just cultural Christians and people that have a genuine faith in Jesus? Then he goes on. 
The subject is of infinite importance. Let it not be driven out of our minds by the business or dissipations of life. This present scene and all its cares and all its gaieties will soon be rolled away, and we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, just note there, what is Wilberforce saying? He's saying it is so easy to focus on our present work, on our concerns in life, what he calls the business or dissipations of life. It's so easy to focus on those things, the here and now, that we forget the temporary nature of life in this world, and we forget that what happens in the future is we will face Jesus' judgment. He's saying live now, live now in light of eternity, in light of Jesus' return. Exactly the same with another character, Lord Shaftesbury. Some of you will know about Lord Shaftesbury. He was the great 19th century humanitarian reformer. He worked uh, on behalf of child chimney sweeps, on, on behalf of flower girls, orphans, prostitutes, prisoners, those with mental illnesses, the handicapped. Uh, and when asked what motivated him in all this amazing work, just before he died, this is what he said. He said, I do not think that in the last 40 years I have lived one conscious hour that was not influenced by the thought of our Lord's return. Not one hour when I haven't thought about Jesus returning. You see, it's interesting because you often get people saying, people saying, if people are just focused on the future, if they're just focused on heaven, then they will not be of any use in the present. You know, so heavenly minded, they are of no earthly use, no use for business deals, no use for church planting strategies, no use for remembering, remembering to put out your rubbish on the right night, no use for filling in your tax return correctly, no reach for, use for reaching out to the poor, no use for caring to those who are marginalized, no use, they're just thinking about the future. But Wilberforce and Shaftesbury, they put that view totally to bed. Because both of them, it was the future, so in their minds, the future that was in their minds that caused them to live in such an amazing way in the present. And as I think about it just today, yes, I know I'm generalizing, but I would say that it is those individuals and it is those churches that clearly believe in Jesus' return in a final judgment, it is those individuals and churches that are most radically making a transformational difference for Jesus in the present. Think of Hope and her bike. If you removed the playground, if you removed the end destination, if the playground was no longer there, Actually, that would make her journey along the tarmac path, well, it would make it less purposeful, wouldn't it? Less, you know, she'd probably go off in any other direction. She'd certainly go after the ice cream van. Whereas when we are confident in the reality of eternity, when we know that the playground is there and it is altogether amazing and wonderful and incredible to behold, well, actually, then our pedal down the path of life it goes for the better, not for the worse. And you know, Peter says that living well now, living well now in the light of Jesus' return, it, it looks like three things. And the first thing is this, it, it looks like the godly Christian. Look at verse 11 again, would you? Verse 11. 
He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. What does he mean by that? We speed its coming, I think, by doing all we can to help others not to perish, but to come to repentance and faith in Jesus as we evangelize. Or or verse 14, same idea. Uh, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to, to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. He's saying, knowing that Jesus has won for us an eternal future doesn't mean we just go, well, stuff it, I can live how I like. That means we're so grateful we want to do all we can now to please Jesus. The godly Christian. That's how we live now in light of eternity. First, the godly Christian. Second, the guarded Christian. The guarded Christian. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, he says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Now, that's pointing us back to last week, that we're to be on our guard against false teaching. He says the primary way that you and I can be on our guard, it is by listening to the voice of Jesus in here being reminded of what we already know. Interesting, actually, I don't know if you spotted it, but in Wilberforce's book, there's one verse that he has on the title page. One verse of the Bible, it's up there, and the verse is very simple. Search the Scriptures. That is how we be a guarded Christian. We check the Scriptures. So how do we live now in the light of eternity, be a godly Christian, a guarded Christian, and then thirdly and finally, the growing Christian. The growing Christian. If we stop, we drop. We don't stay still as a Christian. Verse 18, the last verse of the whole letter, he says, but grow. But grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as I close... I'm not going to start riding around the church again. Don't worry. Um, as I close, on, on the bicycle of the Christian life, what are we to do? What are we to do? First of all, we are to, if you like, put on all the kit that is pleasing. We're, we're to put on, put on the helmet, even if we look silly. Uh, we're to put on the helmet and put on the lights, put on the reflective gear. We're to shine for Jesus. We're to be a godly Christian. We're to be a godly Christian, wanting, desiring to head to the final destination. We're to be a godly Christian, not just lounging around in the hot tubs. We're to keep on the path. We're to not get enticed off it by false teaching, often dragging us towards ungodly behavior. We're to keep listening to Jesus' voice. We're to be reminded of what we already know. Be a guarded Christian. And then we're to push down the two pedals. We're to keep growing. We're to keep going forwards. Verse 18, grow. What are the two things we're to grow in? Growing grace and knowledge. There are two pedals, grace and knowledge. We grow in our wonder of the grace of God shown to us in Jesus. And we're to grow in knowing Jesus and to having that relationship with him.
And if you like, they are a virtuous circle, a virtuous cycle. As we press down on one, so we press down the other. As we grow in knowing Jesus, as we get to know him better, so we grow in our wonder and amazement at his grace shown to us. And so we want to know him more. And so it keeps on going. Grow in grace and knowledge. And why? Why be a godly Christian? Why be a guarded Christian? Why be a growing Christian? Why? Because of the glorious Christ. Look at how Peter finishes his letter. Very last verse, last sentence. He says, to him be glory. To him be glory now. Now, right now, on the tarmac path. To him be glory now. To him be glory now and forever forever, the playground, the final destination, to him be glory, both now and forever. Amen.